Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we've done programs in the Prayers to the Creator series over the last several weeks, and you plan to do another in the series today. (laughs) The last three have been out of Isaiah. Is the prayer we'll be looking at today also in Isaiah? Yes, it is, Scott. But this will be the last prayer to the Creator in Isaiah which, using our criteria, brings the total to just four prayers to the Creator in the entire book. Which surprised us, given the fact that creation is a major theme in Isaiah. It really did. But in hindsight, given that the prophet mostly either spoke for the Lord in oracles or literally dictated what the Lord said word for word, I guess it shouldn't be surprising that the book does not contain a lot of dialogue in which people, or even Isaiah himself, are talking back to God. Which is what a prayer involves. Exactly. A prayer addresses or talks to God. And so we found such discourse, as limited as it was, in chapter 6, verse 8, 29, verse 16, chapter 45, verses 9 and 10. And the last one in Isaiah, which we're going to consider today, is in Isaiah chapter 64. Now, this section of Isaiah, in a sense, breaks the trend of most of the prophet, where the oracles and the messages have mostly been the Lord speaking to the people, and only rarely and very succinctly has there been a recorded response back to the Lord, starting in chapter 63, verse 15, and following, all the way to the end of chapter 64, which is a total of 17 verses, Isaiah records a lengthy prayer. Wow. It's a plea for mercy, a lament, a confession. It's an appeal to God's character and concern for his reputation, all wrapped up in a magnificent prayer to the Lord. Well, Dr. Scripture, it sounds like after 60 plus chapters of reproach and warnings, <laughs> maybe the people got the message. Yeah. They finally were willing to listen and agree with the Holy Spirit that they were deserving of the judgment they were enduring and now wanted to repent. Scott, I think that's a good way to interpret at least one of the purposes Isaiah may have had in ordering the book through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the way he did. Because the tone of this prayer is exactly the opposite to the defiant prayers of the rebellious recorded in chapters 29 and 45. Interesting. In fact, in chapter 65, the Lord is reminding the people of the rebellion, and he repeats another one of their prayers of defiance. Scott, read Isaiah chapter 65, verse 3, where the Lord speaks about the activities of the people. A people who continually provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bricks. Now I'll skip down to verse 5. Who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Yeah, huh? Wow. On the one hand, how colossally absurd is this? Right. To say to God, I am holier than you. But in reality, people make that very same comparison and the accusations they make about God all the time. In fact, I'd go so far as to say one of the most common self-justifications for denying obedience to the Word of God, for justifying the refusal to believe what the Bible says about God, for even denying the very existence of God, amounts to a person claiming to be more holy, more righteous than the God of the Bible. What is one of the first accusations hurled at God when something terrible, something evil happens to a person or in the world around them? 
How could a loving God let this happen? Exactly. Now, what does that question really amount to? And I know it's not always. Sometimes I know it can be uttered by a person who is genuinely devastated and confused by some tragedy that they don't understand, but which they do know God allowed or brought upon them. But I hear that veiled question much more often from the rank God-hater, and it's offered as their justification to dismiss God and any claims he may make in his word. The person presents themselves as having a better sense of how to direct the affairs of the world than God. They present themselves as being more fair, even more loving than God. Oh, how opposite is the response of Isaiah in chapter 6, verse 5. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And that same confession of uncleanness is found in chapter 64. Read verse 6, Scott. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Then verse 7, And there is no one who calls upon thy name, who arouses himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hidden thy face from us, and hast delivered us into the power of our iniquities. Dr. Scripture, I have a question about this prayer. Mm -hmm. Who is offering it? It is spoken in the plural, the words us and our are used. Is it like a representative appeal to God, or could it be Isaiah himself speaking on behalf of the people? If it was Isaiah speaking for the people, wouldn't it be people that lived more than 100 years later? Yeah. The people of his day were the rebellious ones. They kept denying the Lord. That's an excellent question, and I don't think it can be answered definitively. Obviously, Isaiah wrote it down, and at one point he does say, I. But as you say, was it his prayer, like Moses or Daniel or Nehemiah when they confessed and interceded for all the people? Or was it given as an example or pattern prayer for any repentant soul to recite? In Isaiah's case, far in the future, agreeing with the sentiments and confessions of the prayer. I don't know which it is. Perhaps it could be both. But what I do know is though there are elements in this prayer that specifically relate to the nation of Israel and what happened to them, there are also many thoughts in this prayer that apply to each and every one of us. And it forms a wonderful pattern for us to follow when we come to the Lord in need of forgiveness and or restoration in our relationship with Him. And remember, we are looking at this prayer because it is a prayer to the Creator. It is an excellent example to remind us that we should be mindful of just who it is that we are speaking to in prayer, the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, and the One who made us. And so, so far, we've read several verses of this lengthy prayer, but we've not read the portion that specifically identifies the Lord as Creator. So let's read that. It's Isaiah 64, verse 8. Go ahead and read it, Scott. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou our potter, and all of us are the work of thy hands. Now, that is really cool. In that one verse, three different ways of identifying the Lord as creator are mentioned. That's right on. What are they? The Lord is our father, our potter, and we're the work of his hands. Excellent. 
all descriptions of the Creator we've seen elsewhere in Isaiah. And here in chapter 64, what the petitioner is doing is sort of tugging on the Father's heartstrings to relent of his anger on account of their unfaithfulness and forgive and rescue them. Listen to what follows verse 8 that you just read. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are thy people. Thy holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our fathers praise thee, has been burned by fire, and all our precious things have become a ruin. Wilt thou restrain thyself at these things, O Lord? Wilt thou keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? That's a pretty powerful appeal, if one's heart is sincere. And the Lord knows whether or not a person is attempting to hide deceit in their heart. Yes, in fact, the Lord even warned against that. Sure does. I remember he was warning those who thought they could hide something from him back in chapter 29. He said, Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord, and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, Who sees us or who knows us? That was Isaiah 29, verse 15. And to show he was referring to what was in their heart, I'm going to go back to 29:13. Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote, therefore behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be concealed. Now that is fearful judgment. The Lord is basically saying he is going to harden their hearts and remove their understanding. And this is a principle taught elsewhere in the Bible. At some point, according to the Lord's own choosing, not someone else's or even one's own self, the Lord may actually prevent that person from understanding and coming to repentance. Remember what the Lord said to Isaiah when he called him. Scott, read Isaiah 6, 9. And he said, go and tell this people. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Now remember, Jesus himself quoted this statement when the people responded to him in disbelief. It was a tragic legacy left to them by their forefathers, and one acknowledged in the prayer we're studying in Isaiah 63 and 64. Remember, I said this prayer began in chapter 63, verse 15. Well, we haven't read in chapter 63 where the prayer begins, so let's do that now. The prayer begins with an appeal to the Lord to, in a sense, remember them. Look down from heaven and see from thy holy and glorious habitation. Where are thy zeal and thy mighty deeds? The stirrings of thy heart and thy compassion are restrained toward me. For thou art our father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not recognize us. Thou, O Lord, art our father, our redeemer from old is thy name. Why, O Lord, dost thou cause us to stray from thy ways and harden our heart from fearing thee? Return for the sake of thy servants, the tribes of thy heritage. Thy holy people possess thy sanctuary for a little while. Our adversaries have trodden it down. We have become like those over whom thou hast never ruled, like those who are not called by thy name. So notice, they realized that the Lord had hardened their hearts. How desperate they had become. 
They could only hope that the Lord would care enough about his reputation reflected in his people to restore his relationship with them, and they appealed to the Lord's mercy. They knew it was their own fault, but now at last they were confessing and pleading with their father, the one who formed them as the potter forms the clay to save them. So we come to the end. The latter portion of this prayer is as good of an example of a prayer of confession as there is in all the Bible. And perhaps there's someone listening right now that is at a point in their life where you feel like you can't even repent. You want to, but you know how long you've continued in sin and you're overpowered by it. You've tried before and nothing seemed to change. Friend, forget all the failures in your past. With a genuine desire to do the right thing according to what God defines as right and wrong, I urge you to pray this prayer of confession and be saved from the sin that has ruined you. I'm going to read Isaiah 64 verses 5 through 9 using the NIV but I'm going to change this prayer from one that the people of Israel offered to one that an individual could pray, one that you can pray. Lord, you come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when I continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can I be saved? I have become like one who is unclean, and all my righteous acts are like filthy rags. I shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind my sins sweep me away. I have not called on your name or tried to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from me and made me waste away because of my sins. Yet, O Lord, you are my Father. I am the clay, you are the potter. I am the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember my sins forever. O look upon me, I pray, for I am your child. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.